Good morning. Our scripture lesson um, this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1, and then 10 through 20. And I'm going to read from the message translation. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw regarding Judah and Jerusalem during the time of the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Listen to my message, you Sodom school of leaders. Receive God's revelation, you Gomorrah school of people. Why this frenzy of sacrifices? God asking. Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices, rams, and plump, grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls and lambs and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there and doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship? Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that, I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces. And your hands are bloody. So go home. Wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. Come, sit down. Let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you'll willingly obey, you'll feast like kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right, God says so. (laughs) These are our sacred stories. Have you ever been asked to do something, agreed to do it, and then I realized that maybe actually doing it was going to be a lot harder than you thought it would, and maybe you wish you hadn't agreed to it at all and wondered why you were even asked to do it in the first place? Yes? Putting together this proclamation has been pretty difficult. The world feels a little, or a lot, more unsteady than it used to. Any illusions about the inevitability of progress have been erased, at least in my mind, and some of the injustices that we thought were well within the past seem very possible once again. I am not a fan. 
This proclamation is my attempt to articulate what this unsteadiness looks like for me. Specifically, how it relates, or as it relates to how I have interacted with the Bible, with Christianity throughout my life. It's an acknowledgement of the inadequacies of our scriptures, but it's also an effort to, as John Lennon said, project hope into spaces in need of compassion and healing. I don't know how to articulate these ideas except through my own experiences, so I apologize for taking you all on the Christie Show today. <laughs> I'm hoping, though, that you'll recognize yourself in what I share today and ultimately find some ideas for a way forward. And yes, I'll probably cry. When I first read our morning's lectionary, I felt really, really irritated, even angry. And it was an unexpected feeling. The passage is pretty straightforward First Testament stuff. Israel, surrounded on all sides by foreign nations, growing in prosperity, getting fat and happy, losing sight of Yahweh, and getting taken to task by a prophet. But when I read the list of Isaiah's grievances and pronouncements about what God really wants, something in there just made me see red. It was weird. Now, I'm fundamentally unable to resist an opportunity for self-analyzation and overthinking, and this is just the sort of thing that gets me going. Where was this anger coming from? What was it standing in place of? Why is it here? If I had been tasked with developing a proclamation in response to these Isaiah verses a few years ago, I would have easily seen ways in which Isaiah's words of admonishment could inspire my liberal ecumenical heart toward justice work. But today, just anger. The problem, my friends, is the Bible. Or, to put it in our parlance, the sacred part of our sacred stories. I'm having trouble with the sacred. And let me explain what I mean by walking you through the different ways in which I related to our sacred stories, our Bible, throughout my life. If this were a Wes Anderson movie, we'd have helpful title scenes up here describing each section of the movie, so you'd know kind of where we're headed. The first title scene would be the Bible, the only story. The only story is how the Bible was introduced to me by my family and my childhood church. A young girl born into a family replete with Southern Baptist ministers attends a mid-sized Southern Baptist church in the 70s and 80s, accepts Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior, gets baptized, goes to Sunday school, goes to church camp and mission trips, and learns the Bible stories backwards and forwards. But I've used an incorrect word here. These weren't stories being taught. These were capital S scriptures. Knowing them, believing them, living them was how to achieve salvation and favor in the sight of the Lord. In my world, there was no promise of prosperity, but certainly the assurance that faithfulness would inspire others to live similarly faithful lives with eternal salvation awaiting the other side of a bodily death. 
The next and closely related scene in our movie can be titled The Literal Truth. And it's easy to see how the literal truth might follow the only story if you think about some of the more wild stories that we have to contend with. Burning bushes, floating arcs filled with animal pairs, handwritten stone tablets, prophets wrestling with angels, walking up staircases to heaven and keeping oil and flower jars perpetually filled. I remember being a wide-eyed kiddo in Sunday school, hearing teacher after teacher assure us that, yes, all of these things actually happened. And of course, the biggest miracle of all, the resurrection and ascension of Christ, was without question a literal fact. Now, if we're honest with each other, we know that the literal truth part of our movie can't last very long. I know many, many devout Christians who would absolutely claim to believe the Bible in its entirety is to be taken literally. But such a position is simply impossible if you also want to maintain a belief in things like science, for example. And I know how arrogant and dismissive this makes me sound. I'm truly not interested in being critical, but I just don't see how to put together a cohesive understanding of our lives here on earth if we stop with the literal truth. So at this point, our Wes Anderson movie shifts a little bit into a choose-your-own-adventure moment. Um, one option is to try to hang on to literalism, but only for the parts of the Bible that are deemed most important and let the literalism go otherwise. There are entire theologies built on this. But the other option, and the one that I think that will sound most familiar to many of us is to let literalism go completely and move toward it's all a metaphor. It feels good, right? The metaphor phase. A person can breathe in the metaphor phase. She can explore and opine, toss off things that seem too archaic, too cruel, too outlandish, too difficult, embrace the joyful, the hopeful, the promises of comfort and companionship and love, unending love. I remember the sweet relief the first time I met Christians who couldn't have cared less whether Noah actually built an ark or not and were in no way troubled that missing that ark might break down their whole spiritual foundation. That felt like spiritual freedom. There's a fly in the ointment though, because you know what else is a metaphor? Disney movies. So many Disney movies. Endless works of literary fiction. Poetry, like all of poetry. The metaphor phase has an Achilles heel. If it's just a metaphor, is it so very special after all? Here's why I think that anger flared for me. I'm angry. I'm angry because I no longer feel confident about how to approach our sacred stories. None of these options seem adequate. The words for, from Isaiah are instructive. They tell the reader how to live in order to please God, but they are woefully short on details. And if there's something at which Christians excel, it's filling in missing biblical details. So this passage has been used 
to criticize Catholics and Jews for their spiritual rituals. It's been used against LGBTQ persons. We could go on and on and on. And used to justify any number of hurtful public policies in the name of living righteously. And certainly all of this offends me and seems deeply misguided, but is my own desire to simply fill in the missing details myself and suppose that my liberal progressive agenda is somehow more reflective of what God wants to see in the world any better? I'm angry because I'm frustrated. Excuse me. That was... I'm frustrated with an American Christianity that increasingly embraces Christian nationalism over Christ. And I'm frustrated that my own biases make it hard for me to value people of good faith working within branches of Christendom that I would just assume cut off and throw in the fire. <laughs> I'm also angry because I'm stuck with these sacred stories. I've never been able to get to what for many is the final titled section of the movie, the I am done with this scene, where our heroine just walks away. Many, many others have. Church membership is in decline nationwide with more and more people walking away from or never joining any house of faith at all. It's enticing for sure, but instead I'm stuck. And frankly, I'm usually unwilling to take on the moniker Christian because of the terrible implications for belief, for politics, for public policies, for attitudes that are attached to that name. I think the next scene in my movie might best be titled, But You've Been Asking the Wrong Questions. I've been presuming answers or directives or clarity from our sacred stories, and I suspect that this effort is misguided. As most of you know, I'm a veterinarian. Being a veterinarian means among many other things, that you're automatically given a lot of high regard that you may or may not have fairly earned on your own. Veterinarians are routinely listed among the most trusted of professions. Little kids grow up dreaming of being us, becoming us, and we're generally thought of as being a little like Dr. Harriet from All Creatures Great and Small. <laughs> Veterinarians are, indeed, a fantastic group to be a part of, but most of the best vets that I know struggle with wondering whether their chosen profession is doing enough in the world. A colleague of mine in articulating this tension said, I finally decided to do what I wanted to do to be happy, even though it's not really helping people or the planet enough. I probably should have gone to med school, but I would have been miserable. When I got into vet school, I was once asked why I wanted to waste my brains on animals. Statements like this will just break your heart if you let them. They'll make you feel inadequate, like maybe there was a better path out there that should have been taken, that would have helped the world more directly. But here's what I think is going on. I think that holding too tightly to the earlier parts of our movie 
make it impossible to see the vast expanse that is available to all of us for ministry. I know ministry is a loaded word, but stick with me for a second and I'll illustrate what I mean. And because we're all modern and woke and whatnot, trigger warning, sad dog story coming. Trigger warning for myself. Okay, I first met a red scruffy dog named Dempsey about eight years ago. He was without an owner and he had a really rough wound on his uh, back left paw that would ultimately require several surgeries in order to give him a functional foot. He spent several weeks living in our clinic, but initially he wouldn't eat, even though he was a Houston street dog. We finally found out what he liked when he perked up at the sight and smell of El Rey breakfast tacos. Even a street dog has a standard. Dempsey was adopted by a wonderful family who got him through his surgeries and has helped him blossom into the best, goofiest, slobberiest, sweetheart of a dog, and we all love him desperately. Two weeks ago, I diagnosed Dempsey with lymphoma. Sweet dog. This isn't a disease that we can cure. And as I put my hands on him, knowing instantly what was going on and thinking about what was coming, I looked up at his owner and we both locked eyes and just squeezed out a couple of tears for this wonderful dog. Dempsey feels fine, has no idea what is happening. And we have medications that are gonna help him feel good until he can't anymore. And then when he begins to fail, we'll let him go. And we'll let him go <laughs> with all of the kindness and compassion that the universe has to offer. This is what ministry looks like for me. It's small, it's private, it's really quiet. And most of the time, very few people outside the exam and treatment rooms ever know the intimacies that are shared, the graces that are given, the moments of loss that just as quickly start moving toward healing. But every single person that works with me repeats these moments day in and day out. And every single veterinarian that I know participates in ministering to the world just like this, day in and day out. I don't know what Isaiah intended when he told his readers to say no to wrong, learn to do good, work for justice, and help the down and out. I don't know what his vision of a just and perfect world looked like. I only know my own world. And I'm learning to do good through thousands of moments like these with Dempsey. I am finding and creating purpose and meaning instead of looking for directives and answers. I'm 100% confident that 
that every single one of you can tell your own Dempsey story to. You are also sitting with people going through joys and losses and fears, worries, celebrations, and you're there. You aren't running. You aren't dismissing. You're there, helping in the ways that are available to you, just you, in that moment. That is your ministry. I don't use the name Christian, but I minister. I minister as a human who wants to see more health and healing in the world. My anger isn't gone either, but I know where it comes from frustration and confusion and fear frustration at what Christianity looks like confusion in trying to live in the balance of the sacred and the metaphorical fear that what I'm doing will never be enough to battle the huge forces of sexism and racism homophobia xenophobia on and on and on and on but I just don't want to stay with the anger for very much longer I want to be like John Lennon and project something better than what we have right now. I want to be like Joni Mitchell and grow and grow and grow. I don't want to have the same progressives versus liberal Bible wars over and over and over. I can't live in that space. I can't be effective in that space. The space in which I can be effective is tiny and it feels inadequate. And I often worry it'll never be enough, but it is everything. It is eternity. It is sacred, and it is my work to do. My encouragement to you is to identify your space, your ministry. Is it in an office, helping new graduates get their bearings in a new career? Is it research, technology, exploration, where precision and accuracy are the difference between environmental successes or failures? Is it at home, where meal preps and dishes and craft tables and messes take up the hours? Is it helping a woman new to the workforce find the clothes she needs to thrive? When you inhabit these spaces, your spaces, with authenticity, vulnerability, and compassion, you heal the world. You heal this tiny bit of the world that is yours to touch, and it's enough. We don't do these things because we're Christians, but in doing them, we might accidentally become Christians, or at least we'll be closer to that thing which will actually help We'll be closer to love, not righteousness, but love. Amen.